to then turn it into a career because no one's going to pay you for it off the bat. Uh, no, to... and the thing, I mean, the thing is as well, it's, you know, how you would build an audience. Exactly. Beyond, yeah. beyond that. And also, you know, anyone can stick some headphones on and do a podcast. Yeah. Can't they? You know, yeah. yeah. It, does, it doesn't mean that anyone is going to watch it. No, um, no. Hello and welcome to the very first episode of How Do You End Up Doing That? with me, Alex Jaffers. In this podcast, we're going to be speaking to people about the jobs they've ended up doing and what got them into doing it, because usually people have got a bit of a story to tell about how they ended up doing what they're currently doing if it's slightly out of the ordinary. In this first episode, we're going to be speaking to Mark Mansfield from Nation.Cymru. I'll let Mark go into a bit more detail about exactly what Nation Cymru is, but basically it's an online news publication that focuses on Wales. We'll look at how he went from reporting on local football stories for Charlton Athletic, right the way through to how his career ended up with him running an online news publication. If you listen to this and you've got any comments or feedback, anything you'd like to say to me really, feel free to drop me an email to alex at howdyou.com, that's h-o-w-d-y-o-u dot com, and I'll take a look at any emails that come across, and hopefully I can get back to you with some answers. So without much further ado, let's dive right into our conversation with Mark. Cheers! Hello there, I'm Mark Mansfield, and I'm the CEO of Nation.Cymru. Cheers, Mark. Thanks very much for uh, jumping on a call with me today to run through um, what it is that got you sort of started with Nation.Cymru and how you went from being a, a wee lad in London to running uh, one of Wales's, well, Wales's primary independent news publication. Um, I'll take that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it's not Wales Online, is it? Let's be honest. Yeah. <laughs> In so many ways. It's usable. Yeah. Um, yeah, there is that. Can you tell us a bit about, like, what, uh, you know, obviously you grew up in the southeast, um, what you were, what you were interested in school and how you went through school, sort of what, what that progression was to then coming out and ending up in university? Yeah, I mean, I'm from, I'm from Cardiff. I was born in Cardiff and we moved to London when I was quite young for my dad's work. And uh, we started off living in Cheam, and I don't remember an awful lot about that. And then we moved to South East London. I suppose, I mean, I got into journalism, really, from a love of sport. I was always quite sporty, but never particularly great at sport. Um, but I think one of the formative things, really, as a kid, was going to my first football match. And I just remember, as an eight-year-old, one of our neighbours, like the friend of uh, one of my friend's dads, took us down to the valley to see Charlton Athletic play. Um, and it was an evening game, and it was in the winter, and the floodlights were on. There was a, there's a sort of a long walk down the hill to the valley, and you can't see the ground. It, it literally is in a valley. It's in a massive valley. And and so walking down this hill and you could see the floodlights and you could hear the noise. And so it's quite exciting. And the whole atmosphere was just incredible. We, we were stood sort of halfway up this terrace and there were all these people around us smoking and swearing. And there was a guy walking around selling roasted peanuts. And it was just a really kind of wow. And then the football started and it just, and the noise and the fans, you know, in the ground, it just was 
captivating and I kind of was hooked from there but as I said I, you know although I've always been a keen sportsman played hockey at a good level played football at an average level um and I think that's probably one of the things that was behind it because I I always liked sport a lot more than I was capable of playing it very well so you know I was never a, a great footballer but I was always interested in trying other sports as well. So I had the chance to play hockey. Yeah, I was good at hockey and, you know, had the chance to play county level and stuff like that. And we won, um, you know, as a cup competition when I was at school and stuff like that. And I played for a, an adult club for a while after too. But it came back to the tension as well because the, the top men's team at the hockey played on a Saturday. And that was when Charlton played. And so then, you know, which, which route to go. So, and I went, I went the, the football route. Um, and we'll, we'll come back to that a bit later on, because I think that's a, you know, very relevant thing in my, <laughs> my sort of development as a, as a journalist. Left school, did my O, o levels and A levels actually at an FE college. I didn't do those at school because we, we'd moved that year. Um, and uh, carried on going to um, football. And then I, I decided after I'd done my own A-levels, I didn't want to go straight into uni. <laughs> and so I went on work for a while. I worked in a children's home as a residential social worker. And the sports thing actually started there because me and a friend, we started up a, a boys club. Oh, okay. And so, you know, we, we do um, boxing. They did they could do boxing training and football and... I was going to say, it um, seems like quite the shift to go from being, you know, this sort of sports mad, like loving sports, to then working in a, uh, you know, re residential residential home sort, <laughs> sort of set up. The... It was a weird set up. I mean, this, they don't have places like this before, but there they used to be like a circle of these huge children's homes around London that were kind of allocated to, to each borough. And so this children's home was, was in Sidcup, which is on the borders of, of London and Kent. But it was allocated to the London Borough of Southwark. And it was like a Victorian country estate. It had, I think, about 12 or 13 massive houses around this green. Mm. It had its own swimming pool. Nice. It had its own sports hall. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and once we got started, it had its own football pitches of course. as well. <laughs> and um, so, you know, I sort of carried on, you know, dabbling a bit with that. And, uh, I mean, I can remember with that, we we, we organised one football tournament for, for the sort of local area when we had hundreds of kids turned up um, to to play in this tournament. Um, and unfortunately, the guy, I can't even remember who it was. We had, we had a well-known footballer who was supposed to come and <laughs> open it. Um, and he pulled out at the last minute and we, we, we were sort of floundering around trying to decide, you know, what to do. And my, my friend decided he was going to put on a Swedish accent and pretend to be a Swedish international footballer. <laughs> and so um, this, this massive tournament was opened by Olsen Jürgensen. Olsen Jürgensen. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but, <laughs> I mean, the, that that then kind of, you know, I, I worked there for about five years. It's really, I mean, it was rewarding work, but it was really taxing work. Yeah, I can I imagine. Mean, you have worked with some of the you know, the kids from some of the poorest backgrounds in in London. Um, and in the end, I thought, right, I'm off to, to university. And there, it sort of coincided with the, the surge in interest in American football oh, okay. in the UK. So what year was and, that? Uh, we fought, 
think it would have been hmm, certainly around about 82, something like that. I'm thinking off the top of my head. Okay. They started covering it on um, Channel 4. Nicky Horn used to have a show, weekly show on a Sunday with like an hour of NFL highlights. Mm -hmm. um, and then these clubs started springing up all over uh, the UK. And so we decided to, to set up um, a club at uni. And we called ourselves the Thames Barriers because we were <laughs> really close to the Thames Barrier. Um, and I think with that, that that was that was although I didn't realise at the time, it started leading me into you know the sporting journalistic crossover that was really my life for over thirty years. Hmm. Um, so what I mean, the very first thing that happened, obviously, with American football, the kit is hugely expensive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah all of it had to be imported and you know these clubs were starting up and it was where you get the money from some had very wealthy benefactors but we were a bunch of scabby students in southeast london <laughs> but just by chance um an advertising company got in touch and asked us if we could do an ad mm -hmm. um, to advertise pro sport bandages and first you know sports support socks all of this stuff and so we, we said, yes, um, how, how, how much will you pay us? And they said, £10,000. Whoa. And um, the cost of the kit was £10,000. <laughs> the student union advanced us a loan for the £10,000. And so we do, did the ad. And we then rocked up at the Crystal Palace National Sports Centre with our brand new kit that none of us had ever worn before in our lives. <laughs> we did a TV ad. Amazing. <laughs> So, um, and we we sort of kept kept that you know the the the, the team going for the time that I was in university, mm -hmm. um, and then at the end of that time, I I got a bad injury. I was I was rubbish at American football as well, and I was a bit small for the positions I played. So I just used to come off with people's footprints all up my body and stuff <laughs> like that. Um, so I, I I sat out the last season where we actually uh, were doing quite well. And I got offered the, the chance to start reporting on American football. Oh, okay. So what, what was that sort of, obviously you went to university and did the um, American football thing there, but what were you actually studying when you were at university? To so Did any of that kind of lead into your journalistic prowess or was it more? Um... I'd, I'd, I'd always wanted to be a journalist. I'd always wanted to be a journalist. My, that, that whole Watergate thing mm. and, you know, Woodward and Bernstein and all of that. I'd always wanted to be a journalist, um, but it kind of felt it was um, unobtainable, I suppose. You know, rather than being, you know, <laughs> sort of, um, uh, you know, very talented political journalist, I I just fell into doing sport and I was quite good at it, you know. Oh, okay. Um, I mean, it was interesting again because um, American football leagues that had formed from the UK teams, they started splintering. The main league uh, came under the control of the NFL mm -hmm. um, and they set up a NFL UK, which ran the top division of the um, the football. And they started offering to pay me to cover games. Um, okay. There was a European championship that was held in the UK for the first time and I covered that. And then I was traveling around covering their finals. And then there was another breakaway league and they started paying me covering that and it was sort of a mixture of sort of like um audio work and 
written work. Um, and I mean, again, uh, probably a lot of people listening to this won't even be aware of the existence of these premium rate phone numbers. Right. Um, you know, the, the, I mean, they started off, there was something called Dial-A-Disc. Okay. BT Dial-A-Disc in the 1970s, I think. So you could phone up and listen to, you know, a top hit on a crackly phone line and people would pay, you know, to do that. And then they started, they launched a sort of test match cricket. You could phone up and you could, you know, follow the cricket test matches on the phone. And then it spread out and there were all these various sports that became part of it. And I've got a friend of mine just sort of mentioned this company that were owned um, by British Telecom at the time called Supercool. And they did um, all of these call lines, all of these different sports. And I started off covering, you know, the American football, really. Um, and I did quite well. And people seemed to like what I did. And then I got offered the chance to, you know, bump it up and do some more stuff. Mm-hmm. And then as cl- with Club Call, what happened? Each club had their own reporter. And the reporter was paid to do interviews during the week and cover all the games. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got offered the chance to actually become the Club Call reporter for Charlton. And okay. that was kind of like the, the dream job, really. That yeah. was, you know, this yeah. is my team. You know, I'd been going to see the most of the American football was on the Sunday, so I'd been able to go and watch Charlton continue playing, you know, uh, regardless. And so um, I think it must have been almost 20 years then I, I followed Charlton home and away. Um, also covered the reserve games. I'd occasionally travel on the bus with the team, which was always a good laugh. Nice, nice. Um, I guess the football in those time was very beer heavy. Yeah, no, it was good. Yeah, no, it was, it was a different sort of, it started to change sort of latterly. But I mean, you know, we—I can remember us playing a massive uh, game. Um, I think it might have been even Blackburn Rovers or something like that. It was a real big game. And after the game, uh, the team bus went round the corner. Uh, the kit man got off, bought a load of beer, bought fish and chips, and we had that on the way back. Nice. You know, like you go forward about ten years, and everyone's got these carefully measured out, pre-prepared yeah. <laughs> meals from the club nutritionist. <laughs> but. Um, yeah, it, it, I mean, it was it was brilliant, really. You know, had the opportunity um, to, you know, work, especially at a time when Charlton were on the up and there was a lot of stuff going on with the club. It was it was a really exciting time. How did um, how did the sort of the first opportunity come about to do like the NFL stuff? Did you approach the NFL and say? There was no one else doing it. <laughs> okay. There was, no, there was no. There was literally no one else doing it. So you uh, well, like wrote the first article, sent it off to a bunch of people, and said, "Would you would you publish it?" Uh, the first thing I was asked to do was uh, go who, into who asked a you? sports agent called John Smith. Okay. And they were John Smith actually ran um, NFL UK, and I was invited in for a conversation with. I think he was there. I can't remember who else was there. And they told me what what they wanted done. And I said, yeah, I can do that. <laughs> and, and you know, they, I did it. And, I mean, with that as well, that led, actually, the, at one stage, they actually formed a professional um, American football league called the World League of American Football. Okay. And so there was, a, there was a team called the London Monarchs who were mainly sort of promising NFL players, a few NFL players that were injured, some people coming back. Um, and there were there were about four British players on the team as well, and I got to cover them, and that was really cool as well. Oh, and, you know, going uh, with the Americans, they do this thing where 
you know, they, you do locker room interviews. So okay. the game would finish and they'd like, you'd all get ushered in with these huge American footballers. Never felt so small in my life. <laughs> Massive guys. But yeah, no, just, and it was just from there really. And doing that at quite a low level. And, and really you sort of scrabble around to make enough money to live on at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had another friend who was a recording engineer and they used to do other content for premium rate phone lines. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, I didn't. I didn't actually do anything with the other content, but I did get to. I did get to uh, present Tony Blackburn's record review. Okay. Tony never actually appeared. It was just with his name <laughs> on it and his photo, and it was basically me reviewing records. Okay. Um, and I also did a horoscope which was quite amusing because I don't believe any of that cobblers. Um, and I would make it up and I used to get fan mail. So people... <laughs> Proper Mystic Mystic Meg, uh, Mystic, Mystic Mark. Yeah, Mystic Mark. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you know, I think... At, I mean, at that time, there were opportunities. I mean, particularly, you know, the, the, the these premium rate companies were pretty naff, but they were quite lucrative. And so, you know, a lot of actors and actresses, you know, you get voiceover work um, doing stuff with them that pay quite well. So you could sort of scrabble around and actually make an okay living out of it. And I suppose, you know, once the once the Charlton thing came along, I, I went much more from being a freelancer that would do anything, you know, to someone that kind of built, you know, you built a career path yeah. through all that. And I suppose the one thing, you know, as a freelance with that it this, this, the point where you know that you're doing okay is where you've got enough regular money to get by on and the other stuff then is um i think bunts is the expression you know all that that's that that's the extra that's yeah, yeah. the icing on the cake and so i managed quite quickly to get my you know my core money which was enough to you know pay my rent or my mortgage or whatever yeah. and then go up from there what happened after that was the sort of acceleration because I then we had a local radio station was struggling didn't really have much in the way of an audience and they were looking for some sport and they they did have a sports show but they had no real coverage they'd have the occasional report at a game or stuff like that and uh, someone at Charlton approached me then to ask whether we could put together coverage of the games there so I did a deal with Club Call I did a deal with the radio station which was initially called RTM, based in Thamesmead, and then it became Millennium Radio, broadcast to South East London, North West Kent and Essex. And then then started, um, so the matches then started to be being duly on Club Call and on the radio. And then we had a preview show. What sort of year was this? What sort of time are we looking at here? Late late 80s, I think. Okay. So, I mean, it took a little while to get into the swing of things mm-hmm. um so eventually i was kind of i was preventing uh, i was presenting a preview show on a friday live linking to a full show on a saturday which had the commentary at the center of it but also had coverage from other clubs in southeast london we also covered west ham lane orient some okay. of the non-league teams and then we had like a two-hour phoning show on a sunday evening mm-hmm. and so and and with that the club really paid for that we got sponsorship 
um, behind it. And it was it, we attracted a really, the best audience the radio station had ever had for our coverage. You know, across the board, really, it, it became like the Charlton radio station. Right, you know, okay. People, because it was um, an independent local radio station, you had a limit to where your, your signal was supposed to reach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and we used to have people in the depths of Kent that found hills they could sit on where they could pick it up. <laughs> and I know there was one group of people that um, used to congregate in a B&Q car park on a Sunday night uh, down near Chatham or somewhere so that they could actually hear the show. <laughs> <laughs> they sort of phone in every now and then. <laughs> All right, lads, we're sat in B&Q car park in Chatham. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think you'd probably get arrested if you were loitering in a BQ on a Sunday night in the dark now, but anyway. <laughs> well, it depends. It depends what car you've got. I think it's um, it's a pretty pretty hot spot for people with uh, you know souped up courses and stuff like that these days. But um, or it was it was when I was you know eighteen, about, well, about twenty years ago. <laughs> yeah, doing doing donuts around BQ car park. Uh, there was no radio. I could tell you that much. <laughs> but that, I mean that and that that really sort of. That carried on until Charm got very successful. And without me realising at the time, Capital had come in with a major offer for the radio right. And in the end, they decided that they would take their six-figure fee as opposed to our zero-figure fee. <laughs> and we kind of were left in the lurch. Oh, um, okay. Certainly my feeling about the club changed with that because they just kind of, you know, the money came in and uh, we were kind of... We felt shafted, really. Um, yeah, of course. But fortunately, I mean, I was I was given the job as the editor of Club Call off the back of that, and I did that for about six or seven years. And then we were just getting into the internet age, and that just killed the premium rate phone lines off dead. Yeah, of course. Um, both the the you know the content you were producing and the other content um, yeah, yeah. sort of fell off fell off a cliff a bit there, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, did. Yeah, it did. I mean, I mean, I. The one thing I, I was working on was a way of actually flipping it so it became like a subscription service instead of charging people ridiculous amounts per minute. Mm-hmm. And we, we, we were working after Club Call. It was sold to a couple of different people and the last lot, a South African company, were just appalling. And so everyone was just, everyone just made redundant. And I did, I did some work developing this project where you would receive like, you know, goal commentary and stuff like that pushed to your phone for a subscription oh, okay. um, well like old sort of text message style no it, your phone would ring oh okay. and it would take you to the game and you right. would get commentary of the ah, of the goal okay um and i mean part of the integration as well was with um the betting companies so you if you put your bet on a specific race mm-hmm. you would then get a call and you would hear the last minute of the race to hear whether your horse ran well or not. Oh, okay. So it was like a push system um, where you know you got you got the sort of the the good bit, and the idea was that it would be sold through the clubs or through the bookies or whatever. And so you know it was sort of microcharge, and it wasn't an expensive thing for the consumer, but it was something that was an add-on that could be offered yeah. by the clubs or by. And we we developed spent over a year developing that. We trialed it. The software was really based on these, you know, these American robocallers. Oh, yeah, yeah. Te- yeah Teleprompter. elections you can have, you know, they phone out and they phone yeah. you up and ask you to vote for Billy Joe, whatever. Um, they feature quite heavily in The Simpsons. Um, yes, yeah. There's, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, 
but so that that technology was was at the at the base of it um but they had this sort of complicated method for people to actually access it to register on the website and we did a trial uh, just before the start of the football season and it actually brought down people's websites oh okay um, and so it was like well we're gonna have to delay launching this because we're killing people's websites and then it was sort of oh we'll be back you know can you hold on to the people can you make we'll, we'll come back we'll do it in september or we'll do it in october and then it went silent and this company that had all the kit really and the know-how um they went bust and we were just kind of left hanging really and the, in, in america as well you when you go there's a i can't remember what it's called now but you there's a there's a type of bankruptcy you can go into where you're protected from your creditors and so <laughs> i was one of their creditors and so were some of the other people and um oh, yeah no. just disappeared. <laughs> yes, just, oh disappeared that was pain so i mean and then i kind of um i skittered around doing various other things back in wales by then not really related to sport or journalism okay and then the the probably six years ago i mean it was funny because there was a lot of people talking about you know wales needed a better news outlet than it was being served by and also the, the you know there was the idea that daily post up in north wales is really a north wales paper and the western mail is really a south and it was like the idea was to actually have a you know wales wide yeah platform yeah. um but no one had ever really got off the ground and then ivan who is the head of journalism at bangi university I think just thought, you know what, I'm going to do this and we'll just see what happens. So he launched a crowdfunder um, that raised £5,000 and then just started doing it on his own, actually. Um, okay. And he put a call out for some help. And I just thought, you know, we'd, we'd been very successful in sort of making money doing what we were doing with Charlton. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, if we can, you know, make money with a football club by from the loyalty of the fans that will maintain this service for 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 one football club it it must be possible to do this for a country yeah <laughs> um and so that's really what we try to we try to do we so how did you sort of meet ivan like how did he put the the call out there was it just sort of a tweet did you know yeah, him no, previously no it's just a tweet. and i just responded to that and said like i think i can help you know okay. run this and you know make it make it work fund it um i mean it, you know me and me and ivan worked together for almost six years but i mean in that time and we had obviously had covid in the middle of it but i mean we only met face to face about five times okay Fair enough. <laughs> um so i mean it you know it was it was sort of like uh you know a partnership that was you know at at, at distance you know do Skype calls. I think it was might even have been before Zoom, you know, or phone calls or whatever. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, not. We hadn't been going long. We were offered the chance for some support from the Welsh Books Council through their scheme that supports publications, English language publications, yeah. and they offered us a grant that was um, worth twenty thousand a year. In the meantime, we started a sub service so people can donate and support Nation Cymru. Yeah. Um, they don't get anything for it. It's uh, altruistic on their part. You know, our our intention is for Nation Economy to be free to anyone mm -hmm. forever. And so, you know, these people 
donate because they support the cause and that's what's built up and kept us going you know over time i mean to the extent now that you know that i mean the books council money is a is a lifesaver we've had other money given to us by the welsh government which has again been a lifesaver and helped us to sort of grow but i mean the core of our money actually now comes from advertising and the subs not from welsh books council grant welsh Grant actually accounts for less than twenty percent of our our income. Okay. Um, but I mean, once once we started getting money in, you know, our intention was always to start paying people for writing. I mean, I think at the lower level, a lot of people are exploited and they're expected to do stuff for nothing. And where possible, we've always tried to pay people, and we were able to start doing that once we got the books council grant. Then once mm-hmm. the subs started coming in, we started employing people. You know, and it was like, and I'd worked, I'd, I'd worked the first two years without any money, um, supporting myself elsewhere. Ivan was work, obviously, you know, his income was coming from Bangor, so he wasn't paying himself any money. So we started off and we were paying other people and not ourselves. And then we just slowly, you know, got able to sort of put together a team, really. Started off with a news editor and then um, things just started to take off really for us during COVID. Um, people were aware that the news they were getting didn't reflect what was actually happening in Wales. And we were seen as a reliable source for, you know, important information. Yeah, of course. Because um, what sort of what sort of numbers were you doing for like daily page views throughout throughout COVID? There was a massive jump from COVID where it almost doubled very, over a very short space of time to uh, around the million mark. Um, and the, so the million then was just sort of, I mean, it seemed like a massive jump at the time. And it was, there was a, there were some stories that went viral and it was kind of wow. But even though those were one-off stories, the audience stayed. So you'd have these big stories but and you'd have this massive jump in the stats, but they would maintain at that higher level. And all the way through, our, our audience has increased every year for six years. Um, mm-hmm. But if you look, it's this, there's this strange thing in the middle of each of those, you know, the, the charts, you can see another jump. And then it stays at that level. And then the next year, another jump and it stays at that level. So, you know, a couple of years ago, we thought, blimey, million, that's great. We've been hitting 1.4 million a month this month. Amazing. Um, you know, that's a, so that's a million unique visitors. I think that's yeah. the correct terminology. And 1.4 so, yeah. million impressions, page impressions. That's, I mean, that's really good. It is yeah. really good. It's- yeah. So the audience, the fact the audience keep coming back as well, and um, I think you know the ads on Nation Cymru, of course, you don't you don't go through uh, Google AdSense or any kind of these advertising networks. Those adverts are manually placed by you, um, and people get in touch directly, and they're always local. I mean, the the one the one exception to that is we were approached about the below the line ads by the company Taboola, who do most. Most newspapers have them. Have them, I think. They're the most widely used. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I mean, some of those ads, you know, I won't say anything more about them. But I mean, there is they they generate unbelievably. They generate a decent amount of money for us. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Uh, and I guess it's the the balance there of um, not turning into a uh, you know a, a reach PLC publication that yeah. you can't read on anything other than a supercomputer. Well, I mean, um, I made the pragmatic decision that they're below the line ads. Yeah, you know they don't impact on the reader experience at all unless you scroll down low. 
And if you mm -hmm. scroll down low, that's what's there. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> like, sort of separate from the editorial, it doesn't affect people's ability to read what's on the pages. Um, and I, you know, we would, we don't, we wouldn't want to do anything that impacts negatively on the reader experience. The whole point is to have something that's clean and easy to read, you know, and mm -hmm. doesn't screw up your phone or your browser on your PC. You know, to our cost. I mean, you know, we we could, you know, make more money if we did, you know, other things with the site. I mean, there is the possibility of doing something on the right hand margin that again would be separate from the story. You know, mm -hmm. hinge on the story. But you know that idea of a pop up and a video and another video and roll, uh, you yeah. know, pre roll audio and just, I mean, you know, it doesn't matter how good Wells Online's stuff is most people hate it before the page is even loaded yeah yeah there's a definite um i see it and i always think oh i i want to read that article but i'm just not sure my phone is up to the task of opening yeah. wheels online <laughs> well and also i really want to read that article but do i want to sit here for two and a half minutes before i can yeah 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 is it that important uh you know i've only got a certain amount of time hiding in the toilet away from my kids instead. exactly <laughs> perfect you know uh time on the toilet leg yeah. articles <laughs> yeah you know I've, I've always been a fan of nation cymru i've always checked back and uh and read the website but it, it's great as well to see the the subs you know the number of subscribers and the people who are paying for it even though they don't have to but they yeah. want to they want to support the, the sort of the independent news and the independent media mm. um coming out of wales so that it's just, yeah it's really positive to see because obviously the the quality the quality of the content um is good enough um and that's what people people are paying for and people are enjoying well, I mean, we're, we're offering opportunities as well to, you know, we, you know, a, a, an awful lot of our money goes to Welsh journalists, Welsh writers, to promoting Welsh books, <laughs> Welsh publishers, you know, mm -hmm. uh, you know, everything we do is through the prism of Wales. Our, our book reviews, we, one, one of the publishers told us that um, he actually took out a month's advertising with us. And it increased the traffic to his website by eleven thousand percent. Wow! <laughs> okay. Well, that probably means that not many people went to his website in the first place. But you know, we 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 make a, a diff with with the the book reviews. Another publisher was saying that um, they contacted our culture editor to say, "Did you review one of my books at the weekend?" And he said, "Yeah, we did. Why?" He said, "Our website went mad, and we could see them being ordered. We weren't sure where it came from." So we, you know, we kind of con contribute to the, you know, the cultural welfare <laughs> and the livelihoods of these, you know, these companies and these writers as well. And we yeah, now have, you know, three three full time journalists, four full time journalists, just about to start our fourth full time journalist, and then a couple of part timers, and then our sort of, you know, list of contributors and we've had some big name journalists that have left wales online have come and joined us as well you know and so we're, we're sort of you know building building quite nicely at the moment great yeah because of course uh ivan ivan left last year was it yeah December, he was um headhunted by s4c they offered him loads of money and weekends off and stuff and what <laughs> why would I you take that i know, I know. <laughs> Behind, yeah. <laughs> uh, so of course now the the editor editor in chief is Emily. Um, uh, no, Emily's the news editor. 
I suppose I I mean we don't really have that title now. I mean I suppose oh, okay. I do I I do all of that really. I mean Emily has been brilliant. I mean she's come to us straight from university, first job as a journalist. Oh, okay. Um she, which went as a mature student. I mean she's you know I think her story is quite well known, but I mean you know, first one in her family to go to university, the same as I was, really has made a massive contribution to what we do. Really, you know, she's done brilliantly. Disappointed for us, she didn't win the Journalist of the Year at the recent awards, but uh, we did get one of our columnists did win, and that was brilliant. But no, I, I mean, it's kind of, it's. I suppose I kind of hang it together. <laughs> you know, I. You know that it's it's trying to balance between, you know, running the company and, you know, making the journalism work. Yeah, yeah, you've got to kind of balance the you're not too. There's the commercial aspect, which means that you know you've got to sell the ads and you've got to get that sort of stuff right mm. to to make it a success. But on the flip side, you're also by trade and you know by tradition a journalist, so you want to make sure that the content and the quality is good enough, and you've got to. Yeah, yeah. A lot, I guess a lot of people don't have that sort of balance, you know, ability to balance the two out. They're either going to be fully like into the journalism side of things and got to make sure the content is amazing and ignore the ads and the commercial side yeah. of it, or they'll go the other way and sort of, right, we want to fill it with ads and we want to make it, you know, as, as profitable as possible, but kind of, you know, let the let the journalistic side of it sort of drop, drop by the wayside a bit. Well, you've got such a small team that you just can't, you know, be siloed in that way. You know, and everyone, I mean, everyone mucks in, and and we have got a uh, you know really good team of people that work for us, you know, and people that go above and beyond all the time. I mean, their commitment and their talent is unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it's yeah, it's the people that really make a difference. Not being a a, a conglomerate, you know, very much still a independent. Uh, mm. independent publisher of Welsh News. It's yeah, it's really good to hear that it's kind of continued that way well i think that i mean you know journalism in wales is in big trouble you know reach big trouble shedding people all over the place news quest their parent company is in big trouble um kids don't seem to want to be journalists a lot of the time now they come out of university they might do a journalism qualification but they'll go and do a different job entirely maybe do some pr or something like that but i mean why do you think that is why why do you think people don't want to be journalists anymore. I mean, I think I think journalists are the as part of the sort of culture war thing that's gone over over the last ten years or so. Journalists are always being accused of kind of being the enemy, you know, being in the pocket of this politician or that. I mean, we we get this all the time. Oh, you government, you're funded by the government. Yeah. You know, it's and it's like par for the course, really. And it's like, you know, we're actually funded by the Books Council, but you know, fill your boots, mate. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, but you know, it, I think this the social media has created this sort of adversarial kind of position on journalism. There aren't many people that are seen as heroes in the way that maybe Woodward and Bernstein were in the right, the 70s. yeah. yeah. You know, uh, although they're, you know, they're, they're obviously are, I mean, you know, you see it all the time at national and international level, but I don't, I don't think the reputation of journalism is particularly good and it's not, you know, at the level that we work, it's not particularly lucrative. Of course, there's the whole thing about, uh, you know, the, the rise of the internet and the, I guess, journalists, you know, previously would have been 
television, newspapers, um, you know, the a very old traditional media, whereas now the internet's come along, it's much more focused on online publication. Um, and I guess some people see that as not, you know, not as va- not as profitable, not as well paid as because uh, it's so easy to now get your get your voice out there. So I guess some people try well, it, in different well, it, ways. It, it is, but, it don't, but is your voice worth listening to? You know, that's True. that's yeah. the other thing. You know, there are a lot of um, loudmouths that have created niches for themselves. But mm. I mean, whether that makes money or whether that has any sort of public service element to it or public interest yeah. element to it is a different thing. You know, that what we do really or try to do is jazzed up traditional journalism. You know, we, we're not amiss to having, a, you know, interesting or funny or amusing videos and content like that. But we do that alongside bread and butter stuff about what's going on in the Senate or, you know, is that local authority about to go bust or, you know, are Swansea about to get relegated or, you know, can Wales win the six? You know, all that stuff along with things that, you know, are enjoyable to just watch on your phone, you know, when you're in the loo. (laughs) (laughs) I, th- I say that just because it's the only quiet time I get, really. That's <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>, fine. <laughs> um, but no, it's, yeah, it's, it's really interesting to hear about uh, sort of the, the the history and how it's all progressed. But what what, what would you say is sort of um, next for next for you and for and for nation nation Cymru? Sort of what's what's on the on the agenda? I mean, I mean ultimately, there needs to be some sort of kind of succession planning. You know, we we want to bring younger people through you know i mean i'm you know it would be nice to be able to at some point in the future kind of you know have someone else you know running it i mean we've got younger people coming through you know two of the the journalists uh you know in their 30s um we've got a group of you know people from different age ranges amongst the contributors but i think you know like you, you don't want uh, something like this to just be run by old white men, even yeah. if they are Welsh, you know. Yeah, yeah. And we're very conscious of that. And I mean, we're working hard to actually do something about bringing more people through and giving opportunities to more people. Uh, there, there's been some money made available from the Welsh government as well to, to do that. And we, you know, we have worked with you know aspiring journalists with disabilities we've also given the opportunity for people that uh, for welsh speakers who work predominantly in welsh to you know be able to write to an english audience so that you know increasing their profile and you think that at some point you'll reach you know a level which you cannot realistically surpass um but i don't think we're anything like at that level at the moment you know you still look at you look at that 1.4 million page views and you think you know okay maybe next year maybe the year after 2 million we're looking at about 40,000 as an average number of of page views a day and I think that we can push that up that can be pushed you know I mean we're fortunate as well because like with the with the Welsh language news platforms you know, it's very difficult for them to break out of, you know, five, seven thousand a day. Okay. You know, um, just the, you know, the sheer, you know, mathematics of the numbers, it's very difficult for them. But we, we can have stuff that just goes, you know, you can have a story that will do a hundred thousand, you mm-hmm. know, over a couple of days. So, you know, there isn't the feeling that we've reached capacity 
yet there's still growth there and there's still the chance for us to sort of improve still further you know i'd like i'd like within the next year to have a, another member of staff mm-hmm. um on board and just you know a gradual measured expansion while we're able to and we're quite a lean machine so you know if if something you know happened you know we wouldn't take a big financial hit do you know what i mean we're not we, you know we're we've never gone in the red you're right okay um we've always we've always been in profit mm-hmm. um you know even you know through these sort of you know cost of living crisis you know yeah. there's there's always money in the bank well, you know we, we're good. not we're not we're not going to overextend ourselves we'll do what we can with the money that we can and if we raise more money we'll do more and that's oh. you know the philosophy I, so the plan is really to you know stay in stay in Wales, as it were. There's no sort of uh, you know, nation. We're, 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 we're a Welsh national news service. Yeah, but just sort of you know the success that you've had in Wales is not sort of the temptation to kind of take the model of what you've done and the the structure of how it's been rolled out. Anyone, and... anyone could do what we've done. Yeah, um, but you know, take it to I mean, I mean, whether they want to. <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, you know, I mean, anyone, anyone could do what we've done. Um, mm. And I, you know, I think that, you know, that you could argue that it would be something that would be useful, say, for someone like Cornwall to do something like this, you know? Yeah, nation.curno. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, I mean, obviously, again, the sort of, you know, the scale there is a bit smaller, and so it might be more tricky. You know they don't have their own government at the moment although there's talk of devolution there and i, I know you know there are other you know in, in um, Brittany there are organizations that are trying to do something similar to what we do and also in catalonia mm-hmm. um so i mean there are lots of people trying to to do similar things i know i've been gabbling on for quite a while here but i mean if i sum up you know my career path it was i wanted to do it and i did it you know, yeah, and I, yeah, the opportunities yeah. that come, came over, and I wasn't the greatest, you know, uh, uh, but I I did the things that I got the chance to do, and I did them well. Yeah, you know, um, and that's the that's the one thing I think is probably more difficult now because there were more opportunities then. You know, there were local. You didn't used to have um, the broadcast rights all held by big companies. You know, you did used to have local radio stations could do that. I mean, I suppose football clubs do have their own sort of internet coverage now where you can try and do some of that sort of thing. But, you know, there there was there were lots of people I knew that were journalists and that made their living from sport. And now there are a small number that make mm-hmm. their living through sport, even though there's probably more money in sport, most sports now than ever before. Yeah, yeah. You know? um... Yeah, I guess the opportunities, it's more, it's harder to find those opportunities now to do stuff for other people. Like, you know, there's less companies like the, you know, the back then you needed the tech uh, to do the, um, you know, the, the, the call calling stuff. And those yeah. other, th- those organizations had to exist and there are more of those organizations that uh, were out there, but it was harder to sort of get in with those organizations. Whereas now, if you're, if you wanted to set up the Charlton Athletic podcast, mm-hmm. there's nothing stopping you from setting it up mm-hmm. um and kind of doing that on your off your own back but it's not it you know you have to work much harder at that to then turn it into a career because no one's going to pay you for it off the bat 
Uh, no, and, and the thing, I mean, the thing is as well, it's, you know, how you would build an audience. Exactly. Beyond, yeah. beyond that. And also, you know, anyone can stick some headphones on and do a podcast. Yeah. Can't they? You know, yeah. yeah. Uh, it, does, it doesn't mean that anyone is going to watch it. No, um, no. Yeah. And that, and, <laughs> and that, but with, you know, with with the with the Charlton coverage, yeah, the hook was we had the Charlton coverage. Mm. You know, we had something that no one else was doing. You know, and other people could have done it if they wanted, but they weren't interested because when we started, Charlton were a rubbish team and no one was interested in them. But we were fans and we wanted to to do it. You know, yeah. and they let us. You know, that's that's the other thing. You know, however upset I am about being shafted, you know, they let us do it for years without us paying for the broadcasting rights. Anyone else could go in there. You know, BBC were in there all the time and Capital were in there, you know. But we they let us do it for nothing for all that time. So, you know, that was about having that relationship and, you know, being able to develop the opportunity. But it was having that unique thing that made it different. And I think that's what we've got now nation.com we've got now we have a unique thing you know we cover wales in a properly welsh perspective yeah you know, yeah, yeah. We, we 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 cover welsh sport we cover welsh culture politics you know news that that's what we cover you know and and something big happens and sometimes you think you know we should cover this and it's like well yeah but is there a welsh angle what's the welsh perspective you know yeah and so you 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 know you go well it's not welsh so we don't do it you know which can be frustrating sometimes when it's a good story yeah i can you imagine know, you, you look at it and you go what's the impact on mine you know and that's like the kind of i mean people are sick of me saying that they say have you seen this like, yeah what's it got to do with wales <laughs> <laughs> damn <laughs> There's, a, I'm sure you can twist it somehow. I'm sure, I'm sure there'd be a way of. Well, you can find a, you can find a, you can find an angle. I mean, you know, recently Terry Venables died, and um, Dave wrote a really nice piece about his Welsh connections and oh, okay. uh, his the role he played at a local Welsh team. I think his mum was from Wales, so there was a nice bit about that. Oh, wicked! Um, just one, far, one final thing because I know we've been on, we've been chatting for quite a while now. If you, I know uh, music as well. You've talked a lot about sport and you love sport, but I know that music is something that you're also quite interested in and involved with. Uh, if you could do it all again, um, like your journalism career, would you want to be more involved in music journalism or uh, you know anything else? Really, is there anything else that you kind of wish you'd done more of? There are things that I've done in sport that I'll never forget. And you know, commentating on the playoff final when Charlton beat Sunderland on penalties, and I mean people describe that as the greatest game that was ever played at Wembley, and it was it was just an amazing, just an amazing okay. experience. That and we we were invited back to the hotel uh, with a, for a party with the players and other fans afterwards. It was just incredible, just incredible. But that the journey from sort of going with Charlton when they were really rubbish to you know being a Premier League side was amazing. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't really. I don't think. Um, I, I love music. I love music uh, as a fan. You know, my my Spotify unwrapped right, has dropped, okay. and my was it twenty thousand hours of music listening last year, sixteen hundred different artists. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, you know, I I like. I like that as a fan, but I kind of, I transitioned my fandom 
into a, being a professional journalist at Charlton, and that's a different that's a different thing, you know. I mean, I, I covered other teams as well, you know, and I could yeah. pretend I cared if Millwall scored or <laughs> whoever, <laughs> um, you know, and that's part of being a professional, I suppose. Um, but uh, no, the music is kind of it's you know set to one side. I mean, I enjoyed, you know, I enjoyed. It. I did. I recorded a, I recorded a a single for for Charlton, um, which was which which was number one in the in South East London at one point. Oh, was um, it? Uh, yeah, <laughs> a version of um, Charlton song they used to come out to the Red Red Robin, Billy Cotton. No way in the Red Red Robin goes bob bob bobbing along. Okay. <laughs> No, and, and we did a kind of shouty Cockney dub version of that. Nice, you, um, I'm, you're gonna to have to send me that, and I'll uh, I'll, I'll edit it in. <laughs> I've got it somewhere. Actually, it's on Spotify. Thinking of is it? Yeah, it's on Spotify. Yeah. Um, we, we, I mean, we we called ourselves Harvey Gardens and the Robins. And okay. the Robins was Charlton's old nickname, and Harvey Gardens was the street where the ground was. <laughs> that, that was and that was actually released. Um, that was released on Cherry Red Records. They used to cover sort of different football songs. They had a collection of different football-related songs that they put out, <laughs> and that, that actually went out on Cherry Red Records as well. And then it went out on a compilation uh, going back that Sunderland final. Um, it was actually released. the The commentary was released on a cherry red CD for fans to buy. As a, <laughs> I, I oh. sort of can't even get a pound royalty check from Russia or somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to dig this out. I'd probably get hammered on the rights if I try and put it on a podcast. But um, yeah. Um, oh, Mark, thanks for thanks for uh, yeah having a chat. Sorry, it's taken a bit longer than I uh, than I thought. But no, it's been really good to. Um, Good to run through uh, your sort of your background, your history, and how you got to how you got to where you are right now. Good. Thanks a lot, Alex. I'll speak to you soon. Cheers, mate. Bye. Cheers, bye. So that was the very first episode of How Do You End Up Doing That? I really hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed making it. I looked into it briefly and the navigation of rights to include a song on a podcast seems far too complicated for me to try and navigate, especially for episode one, so that's why I've not included it here. But I'll leave a link to that Charlton Athletic song in the show notes for anyone who wants to have a listen. If you'd like to get in touch, maybe you've got some feedback on the show, you might have some questions, or you might have an interesting story to tell yourself, please feel free to send me an email to alex at howdyou.com. That's H-O-W-D-Y-O-U dot com, and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. I'm not sure who the guest will be on the next episode. I've got a few recorded and ready to go, but I might jumble them up from how they were recorded to keep things a bit varied. So thank you for listening. If you enjoyed them, please subscribe or follow or whatever it is on your podcast platform so the next episode will be delivered right to you when it comes out. Hopefully you'll be here listening again soon. Thanks. Bye.